It's a very exciting time to be a woman. I've taken a lot of advantage of being a woman in my career path. Especially in my younger years, I got invited a lot to the table as the token woman. Every time I said yes, maybe not because I was the best one to be at that table at the time, but because I thought uh, better me than another man. Welcome to Not A Real Artist, a podcast by me, Iris Fritchie Cousins. And me, Tamara Sagadevan, discussing relatable creative topics with honesty and humor. In this episode, we've got a guest who I am very, very excited about. Before I'm going to talk her up, Tamara, you don't know her. Could you tell, because I'm interested in what you uh, think about our guest, not really knowing her and literally only having like researched her since I introduced you to her. So I want to know what you think. Well, from the side of me that doesn't like to admit I am a little bit starstruck by people who have their own Wikipedia page, I'd like to say that I've listened to a lot of the audio interviews on TV, etc. with subtitles. So I am very scared that I really like this person and agree with a lot of what she has to say, but I might just be misunderstanding everything she said. So that's what I'm worried about. But otherwise, I'm like super excited to find out if the person I've got to know with, with Dutch, the Dutch language is actually as cool as I think she is. The person that we are talking to today, I have known for literally more than half my lifetime. We met in secondary school. I was incredibly intimidated by her. I thought that she would never want to talk to me because like, you know, like we were on different levels. And then she ended up being my friend, which was mind blowing. Um, We connected over, I don't know, teenage things and an enduring love of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm also really excited to say that like the person that I have seen her grow into is you know, it's just a magnified version of who she always was in high school and and even better. And I admire her so much for being outspoken, knowing what she thinks, but with, with, I don't know, like, I'm okay, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm not going to do her justice. I'm going to let her speak herself. In this episode, we are having a conversation with Elfie Tromp. Elfie, introduce yourself. Hi. Hi. Thank you. So yes, the last name is with an O, not a U, so unrelated, thankfully, or unfortunately, depends on how you want to see it, <laughs> capitalist side of you. Um, so in Holland, I work as a playwright, as a city poet uh, of Rotterdam, second biggest city in uh, the Netherlands, and um, also um, newspaper columnist and a singer, I suppose. Yeah, I do musical theater, performer. And city poet. So I guess, and writer, of course. I've written three novels, one poetry collection. Um, that's it. So you're a mega, what I like to call multifaceted artist. And just in your own words, what is it that you use your art for? Like, what is your kind of pur- purpose or message? I think all the different areas that I move across uh, have in common that I'm a storyteller. So I tell stories to navigate through this world and through this modern world specifically, which I find rather confusing at times, um, turbulent and sometimes violent and unsafe. Um, And I try to use my work as a sort of guidance, not only for myself, but also for my audience. I think the word hope and comfort wouldn't do it justice. It's also... My recent show is uh, a theater show called On the Barricades of the Heart. 
and I've delved into protest songs. I've started writing new protest songs for this age, and I've researched uh, the protest songs that uh, shaped uh, the protest as it is in Holland. Um, but I feel that um, we could do with a little bit more guidance other than capitalism and uh, <clears throat> politics. So I hope my, my work um, offers that a little bit. That's such a good point, like a different way of a different guidance for navigating this world and this, I don't know, because we all inhabit human bodies and we all have feelings and stuff. And I feel like capitalism is a very inadequate lens to experience that. And what you're saying is that you use your art in order to f create a different way of interacting with, you know, what life is and what living in this world is. Also because we've grown up into this idea of individualism, uh, which is in one hand very liberating because uh, you get to have a voice and you get to have a choice. And otherwise it's uh, very alienating because we used to live along the lines of rituals, patterns, tradition, and family and religion. And mainstream religion has been, I don't know if you two are practicing I've heard some Hindu insights from Tamara in earlier podcast episodes, but not sure if you're very a firm believer. But um, I think uh, it has uh, caused us to blame ourselves a lot for our shortcomings or things that are not going well. And that is the power of capitalism whispering in the ear. You need to buy more stuff, improve yourself more instead of looking at the bigger fabric, the tapestry, as it were, that we're still part of, um, that puts us in these roles and in these positions of inadequacy. So I feel, you know, talking from a feminist perspective, that I am the first generation in my bloodline um, that truly uh, got to choose what she wanted to do, got to pursue that. But still, I live in the shadows of my generational trauma of the women before me, the sexual violence they endured, the constricting uh, politics that they had to navigate through. And still, you know, I'm uh, currently pregnant, uh, pregnant, I'm six months along, and I worry um, because we do not live in a society that um, believe in uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a lot of money to raise a child. That's what we are brought up in. And it takes one specific idealized mother <laughs> to raise a child as well. Right, right. And uh, so I'm, I'm very curious what this new role uh, will encompass and what I will find and what injustices <laughs> will empower my work further along. But, but also, I don't know if you want to go into motherhood, but uh, I'm 37. I had a miscarriage last year. Um, and I felt very uncomfortable becoming a mother because um, there were no role models to speak of that I felt compelled to fulfill that I could see myself in. Um, so it is time to reevaluate the mother image, I think, for me at least. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because especially when it's such a complicated issue, isn't it? Because it's not straightforward. Because also as a person you're enjoying a good career but by no means a typical career for 
well, for anyone really, because you're in the arts, but also for a for a woman. And then to combine that with becoming a mother in the world that we live in, I feel like that's that you have to create your own path because like, you know, who can you look to for that example? I don't know. I think it's a very exciting time to be a woman. Uh, it is. Uh, it, I've taken a lot of advantage of be- being a woman in my career path, uh, to be honest, especially in my younger years uh, when my work maybe uh, was still uh, developing. Uh, but I got invited a lot to the table as the token woman, the token diversity. This was at the start of the diversity uh, ideas. And um, every time I said yes, um, maybe not because I was the best one to comment or to be at that table at the time, but because I thought uh, better me than another man. (laughs) Uh, And that has really emancipated my thinking, but also just uh, strengthened my network, I suppose. And this is one of the things that is very important in art. I mean, of course, it has to come from a true heart and from a true space, but also um, how to place it in the world. You know, I believe every artist has their own audience. But how do you find your audience, I wonder? Um, Tamara, do you have any thoughts on this, like, being the token person? And I'm I'm specifically, obviously, asking you because you're, you know... (laughs) The token, yeah. Yeah, well, you and I had this conversation when we first started working together, and... Tamara, can I just quickly ask, because I don't know, what's your cultural uh, background? Um, I'm South African. Uh, <laughs> just in case anybody doesn't know on this podcast, um, but I am—I um, was raised as a Christian, but I come from a long lineage of Hinduism, um, and we're Tamil Tamil people, so uh, southern Southern Indian. Uh, and were you born in Britain? Are you second generation British or hell no? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's the journey what's the journey that your body made what's the journey of your um the journey of my ancestors we were taken to south africa by the british as um indentured laborers um another fancy term for slaves and i am the fourth generation the generation on the other side are uh, born in south africa so it's not that long ago i've literally touched the hands of the people who came on on the ships um, to to South Africa. And when we got to South Africa, it was already a Dutch, uh, colonized by the Dutch and half by by the British. So that's kind of my, (laughs) that's kind of my back, I don't know, backstory, lineage story. I don't know what you want to call it. But South Africa has historically been governed by apartheid, which means a law where um, white people were seen as the supreme and the elite. And diversity is a very touchy subject in people. Uh, oh, how do I, diversity, I feel, is a touchy subject only when you talk to white people in South Africa. For us, it had to be built into the law for us to make sure that we had the diversity we needed to see. So at the table, you need to have X percentage of people of color. And you might think, oh, God, that sounds a little bit... Um, I know some people, have they have a visceral, horrible reaction to it because the people who sit at the table... Should yeah. deserve to sit there. But what I would like to say is South Africa is majority a black country, people of color. We are black, we are Indian, we are uh, we we have a separate race in South Africa called colored, which in the rest of the world is actually black. Um, but we we've kind of uh, it's a it's a complicated subject. But when you look at the table, and I'm talking about corporate tables, 
it's white males and white females if you're lucky. So I found myself in 2018 sitting at a table at one of the biggest companies in South Africa, surrounded by white men, um, some white woman and one black lady. And each time she spoke, she was hammered to the ground. And I left my body in this experience and I thought, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't belong here, not because of the color of my skin, but because this is bullshit. And that is why like diversity is complicated for me because as much as it's built into our laws and we're doing it to make sure that people who didn't have the, 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 the proper chances to get at the table, it's also not actually like real for me. So I said to Iris, to go back to the story, I don't want to be the token uh, Indian or the token uh, South African or person of color in the art courses. And Iris said to me, well, why don't you just use, you've already endured all of this apartheid and all this bullshit. Why don't you just use the opportunity that has come your way? And like, I'm still struggling with that. I saw myself in a course recently and I'm the only, <laughs> the only brown face. It's not that I feel I don't deserve to be there. It's just something I haven't fully, like you said, it emancipated you. I don't know how to do that. I I, it, I don't know. I still struggle with what it means for me being the token. And I am a token at a lot of places and I'm okay with that. Again, it doesn't mean I don't deserve to be there. It's just, I don't know how to use that as a freeing thing. Um, I don't know if I answered anybody's question. No, I think you've raised a really good point. So Elfie, how did and just you... Quickly, I and just quickly, so Tamara, just so, so the listeners, so do you reside in South Africa right now? Oh, right now I'm in Warsaw, Poland. So I'm the only brown oh, person so interesting. for 102 <laughs> kilometer radius. Oh, which has been on a currently politically very alt-right. Uh, oh, fuck repressive, me. Uh, So how did you end up in Poland? Sorry, just quickly, just a couple of sentences. Is this work related that you ended up? I fell, I fell in love with the man, like the least. No, I, I fell in love with the man. It made more sense for me to come here. I could still work remotely. That's why I did it. Um, ah, okay. So what line of profession are you in that you were that you had this horrible experience in? Oh, a business analyst in the retail space. Sell, 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 sell. So now, now that we've all decided to become artists instead, um, obviously we experience none of those issues. Um, <laughs> that was sarcasm, just in case <laughs> people can't hear my tone. <laughs> I, I think the one question I do want to ask is like, how did that process of emancipation work for you? And then afterwards, if we could maybe touch on, you spoke about the the religious philosophies. And I don't know if you want to go into religion or not, but I'm so interested in that because Poland as a society is extremely religious and it's part of what's informing my oppression as a woman right now. So, yeah, let's... Sorry, Iris, but I'm here to hijack the conversation. So you said it emancipated you and I, I want to understand what that looked like. What was the thinking that helped this whole token thing be emancipating instead of something that's a cause of like struggle or like with me it's like two beliefs knocking at each other well what i've believed or what i've uh, come to realize is that anger has been a vital part not only of my arts but of my career and also of my drive of uh, being able to do the things that i have to do uh so i was i was baptized i was raised latin latin catholic let's say it like that so we would go to the christmas mass and the rest of the year, my mother would curse at God and uh, tell me all her traumatic stories from 
her years in the convent as a child uh, with the nuns and the physical abuse she endured there. So uh, paranoia of uh, power structures, uh, anger of uh, female portraying of female uh, ideals that you should fulfill as a woman um, have come hand in hand with a belief in a greater power. And it was also in the time, so I was born in the 80s, halfway 80s, and it, when I came to puberty, it was also the rise of the new age in Holland and I think in whole Europe that there was this, um, and it goes hand in hand with individualism, I suppose, because you get to choose. You just get to pick what feels comfortable for you. So you get to pick the one Hindu god god that worked with you and put him beside your tarot deck, which is also lovely, but also just avoiding, <laughs> avoiding changing the structures from within, I suppose. I found this anger to be a very uh, good fuel for me uh, to do the things that my mother was not allowed to do uh, and also to be proactive whenever I felt like I was put down, I would address that. So I remember, uh, for, to give an example, I remember being at, a, at a, a national newspaper, one of the biggest, and they wanted to have me for a series of interviews to do them for them. And they offered me uh, an amount of money, which was just by standards rather low. Uh, but also there's a, just a cultural epidemic um, uh, money-wise. But that's another story. But I just really, and I sat across this room or this table of men. Um, and they really believed they were giving me a good opportunity, which partly they did. And then I just really nicely had to just say, well, you know. Being a woman, I feel like I need to, uh, I need to see if we can, um, if we can get a better uh, budget for this, um, because I don't think you would take this as a young man, and we don't want to be seen as sexist, do we? <laughs> <laughs> and so they gave me like double the wage. <laughs> Never asked me again afterwards, though. But still. <laughs> um, so this is in a way you can use that uh, maybe anger, but also you were anger and you were go hand in hand for me. And that's also how I make it last or that I don't burn out or get bitter because I do see that around me a lot uh, with other uh, protesters or families around me that just take it so seriously as you should, but um, they see no error and no, and the progress is too slow. So they, gets too frustrated and uh, burn out. And that is one of the things we need to take care of. But self-care in that sense is very important. And self-care for me is you. And so how, how do you combine those things? Because they seem so, uh, especially in a sphere where you're, uh, you're striving for progress, where the conversations are... Uh, political the the concept of anger and humor feel very far away from each other so how do you which in a in a way i kind of understand how it works because it's it's kind of like death and humor you know like things that are really far away but so how does that work for you with regards to anger and humor i think to see it almost in a meta sense when i'm in a in a conversation like that where i'm put in the woman role um with everything that it's uh, restrictive that it entails. Um, well, you like playing games, Iris, just like I do. Video games, you mean? Yeah, video games and like 
against that use tactics. Um, so very often I don't take it personal. I just see like one character talking to another in a certain time frame. I so I kind of move out of the situation on the meta level, and then try to see how I can influence it in a way that <laughs> I will win. Oh, that's actually really good because I think that for me, like I'm, I'm going to say I'm not a very angry person. I don't know if that's true, but what is true is that I don't express my anger very much. I'm not very aware of my anger. I'm not like, I don't go through life as an angry person. I probably am. It's just under the surface and I haven't dealt with it yet. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, But I think that one of the frustrating things about anger for me is that it consumes myself. As in, I know that when I get angry, the thing that gets switched off is my rational thinking. And my rational thinking is the way in which I make sense of the world. It's the way in which I'm successful in the world. And it's also the way in which I can be effective in the world and kind of make an impact on other people. So I feel like if I get angry and all of that goes out the window, then I'm no longer you know, I might have my righteous anger and whatever, but it, but I can't be effective. So what you're saying or what it sounds like you're saying to me is that because you can not take it personally, you can actually have your anger be super focused and effective. And that's why you can calmly say in front of a group of men who want to offer you a salary that is preposterous, you can kind of like calmly and with a kind of a wink and humor say like, well, we wouldn't want to be seen as, uh, you know, as sexist, would we? Um, rather than your head has imploded and your heart rate has gone through the roof and, you know, you can, you want to burst into tears kind of thing. So it sounds like, it sounds, I'm I'm really envious. Like, I, I want that. <laughs> Tamara, what are you thinking? I have an answer to this, but I want to give you the opportunity to speak as well because I just answered your question. I feel I've, I'm, I am an angry person. I would be insane not to be angry based on like what the world as I see it is. But I I keep on thinking about, I find like anger extremely motivating and I find it fuel. Like I still get those things you, you, you said, like I get a high heart rate and stuff, but it also unleashes for me, I think chemicals that help me concentrate and focus and, and be in the space. But I also feel that it gives me a stronger, like a stronger why, um, because otherwise, I don't know. I feel like because I'm dealing, oh, because I'm dealing with people who maybe appreciate the masculine more, that this so-called masculine emotion resonates with them more, and that I have to kind of like, like be there, like I don't know how to explain it, like just with anger to meet them where they're at, so that they can understand me. Because if I go with gentleness and softness, it's normally, and I'm talking about the work world here that I just came from, it's more like, oh, okay, um, she's being motherly towards us, what they view as a mother, or she wants to to be more like a lover. Oh, Tam, that's so cute. Whereas if I go and I'm like, hey, listen, motherfuckers, this is not on, then it's like, oh, okay, she's right. And and like, I, with art, the, the thing that I struggle with is because anger fueled me for so long, sometimes I am afraid to come across as angry in this space because they're going to go like, oh God, what is she angry about? Because she's like totally living her dream now. But it's not just about me living my dream in my job. It's also all the shit that's still impacting me. So I, I don't know how to answer your question. I just, I am an angry person. I feel a lot of anger. I probably look like I'm angry right now as I speak to you. But I, 
I haven't made, probably I haven't made peace with it and I don't know how to utilize it in this new space because it feels so much different compared to the old one. In my new theater show, I say um, what I don't understand. You know, I, I understand that my anger makes people angry. So I've had quite a lot of backlash from the uh, opinion, uh, from the columns that I wrote for a newspaper, um, from the right-wing perspectives and so and 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 also um, more conservatives thinkers, um, but the the fun part I don't know if that's the right word. But what I don't understand that's what I want to say in my theme show. I say I understand why people get angry when I'm angry because uh, we are social and empathic creatures and we mirror. And I think this is what you just said as an example in your working life that when you mirror certain behavior, they understand it. We are just simply animals how elevated we and eloquent we can speak. But still, we are just animals mirroring each other and social animals in, in that. So um, that is a part. So when I get angry, I receive a lot of anger as well. Uh, I understand that part. But what I don't understand is how people feel that my anger takes something away from them, a space. Like there's a certain amount of space for emotions to reign or grow and then we need to protect that little sacred space. And then you have like this reactive anger of people that want to put you in your place or want to somehow uh, re-raise you or somehow um, um, give you some sense of um, correction. While sometimes we all need a, uh, a moment to vent. Yeah. And my anger, yeah. Yeah, it does not concern you or it's not. Yeah, so that's it. It belongs to you. And I also think that there's two things. Uh, one of them is that I have noticed, Tamara, you often say like, oh, I don't want to come off as angry. I don't want to, you know, am I going to get angry? Oh, I'm going to get angry. So you're often like concerned with how people view you and your anger. And I do think that, and especially Elfie, when you're talking about the backlash that you got, and it, I think it is inextricably linked to being a woman, because I think that as women, as women expressing anger, you have to somehow make your anger palatable. Like, and also black women or people of color, like don't, you know, sure, we've got space for your anger, but don't be too angry because then we're going to stop listening and then we're going to tone police you. And I think that it's, you know, yeah, you have to make your anger palatable. And the funny thing is, is you cannot make your anger palatable um, because, you know, it doesn't work that way. But it does. You get that message of like, you know, oh, we can't listen to you because you're angry or you're wrong because you're angry. Whereas if a man had said it, I think the anger wouldn't been noticed so much. It would have just been like a man talking if the man is white. Yeah, I've got this like weird thing about, like you said, I don't want to be the angry and I'm obviously I'm not black, but at a certain point in time, I was considered black and I don't want to be the angry black woman because I feel that all it does is feed into people's misconceptions and ideas. But that's none of my business. Their misconceptions and ideas are their business. But the second thing is uh, there's this belief that I have in myself that I should transform my anger. I should make it into something. And as you said, make it more palatable, but also I should creatively turn my anger into a different energy or whatever. And it's just something that I'm struggling with. Um, that's my struggle, though. Yeah. So because when is it when is it because you want to do it? And when is it because you're doing it for someone else? Yeah. When I'm taught that it's like a higher state of being, a higher self, whatever the fuck. So that how means. angry were your mothers? Ooh. <laughs> have you seen your mother express anger 
because I have. I've seen my mother uh, use her force, her physical force and her anger to keep us safe, but also herself. So, um, and I've never once hear my father raise his voice. So um, maybe I am, maybe I have a bit of a, a, a good role model in that way. Um, that my mother did learn me how to raise my voice. I think I came from such a place of judgment with, with my mom. I was like, oh, my dad is so calm and he's so zen. And my mother will like tramp any person that like dares to like give us shits. That I grew up with that judgment. I don't want to be like my mother. But as I got older, I realized like my mother's a fucking firecracker and I love it. And as much as I tried not to be like her, I'm exactly like my mom in a lot of ways. So she was a good example, but I think it was because of that judgment. I often looked at this anger as when I'm angry, people don't understand me or don't hear me or don't like me. And I'd rather be like dad, who's very zen. But hey, like, like hello, alert. Dad was zen because mom was the, the lion. So lioness. And also because he probably had uh, a lot less shit to deal with. Uh, like oh. it's, it's, an, uh, it's leisure not to have to be angry or not to have to it's a, uh, control and it's a privilege your... as well yeah i think it's also he grew up to... with a very oh sorry granddad he grew up with a very angry father um who who beat his mother um to different states of uh, of need need of hospitalization i didn't think i was going to talk about this and my father then saw you're still gonna say sorry granddad <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm saying sorry. He's probably not even listening. Uh, but the reason I'm saying sorry is because sometimes I feel like I don't have permission to tell these stories, even though they're actually mine in a way. Because that's why my dad behaved that they're way. They're actually in your blood. Huh? They shaped your, they shaped your DNA. The recent studies have shown, for a fact, international intergenerational trauma, that we are shaped by the trauma experienced by at least four generations ahead of us. So, yeah, so there was this one test that they've shown in mice that if one mice gets electric shocks in one um, corner of uh, of his uh, bowl or his space, uh, he will uh, avoid that space, but also his descendants for four generations will avoid that place and not even because they had gotten electric shock or because uh, they were taught that they were getting an electric shock there. But it's like a lurking unconscious memory. I think what you're doing, just having this conversation and just pronouncing it is in a sense an act of rebellion and, and a sense of freeing. Because it's maybe the first time in your generation that someone looks at it and says, hey, this is not okay, not in a cultural way, not in a in a time frame way. Or, you know, because that's what a lot of people say. Yeah, that was... A different time. That was a different time. It's still, it's still fucked up. Even in that different yeah. time, this was, it was not acceptable. <laughs> it's never been acceptable. No. There you go. It, it yeah. hasn't. You and go. also, what you're coming back to, what you're saying about being, uh, becoming a mother, being pregnant, becoming a mother. So basically, you know, when you're having conversations like this, you're, you're, and 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 acknowledging general generational trauma you are saying i want to be a pattern breaker like i think elfie you are a pattern breaker in a in a bigger societal sense because your art is public your you know your sharing is public your shows are public you're trying to create a conversation but then also on the personal level you're you're saying like i want to be a different mother than whatever has come before um 
when you're like very breaking trying to break these patterns and 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 create something different for the future both personally and societally yeah so i i quickly want to go back to something you said earlier before we went down this path that you said i experienced trouble with and i i feel envy for not being able to control this anger or focus the anger and express it clearly uh, because i do think you put the anger in your art so when i've recently browsed your instagram there's a lot of angry frustrated uh worn down uh, maybe or worn out women faces that say they are just done yeah i feel very seen i feel yeah. very seen that you see that in my art i really um <laughs> so you you put it in your art and i do think i've seen you interact with your family you have a healthy way of putting up your boundaries as a as a woman and as a mother and a healthy way of um communicating what frustrates you so but what I do think is something that all women in Western society uh, are lacking or are, are have, have to regain again is um, physical conscience of their bodies. Uh, we have been estranged from our bodies um, due to, uh, basically due to fucking um, Christianity that burned all our midwives in the Middle Ages, burned all our fucking wise women, all our smart women, and what was left was women trying to survive, trying to survive in, in, in fear, basically. Uh, so we've lost so much knowledge, so much physical power, so much physical knowledge. And what angers me now, for example, uh, a growing, I have a, a growing into, or, go, you know, I'm, I'm heading into my last trimester, so I'm birth and labor soon and the narrative that we are given and the examples that I'm given is just the word pain pain endurance suffering blood these are the words and I've been on this um, course of hypnobirthing and they just explain it to me physically what happens and it is very similar to the physical pain I endure when I'm in the gym it's a muscular pain which is completely entirely different than uh, a pain that you would get from a sickness or a disease or an illness. So there's, there's like a powerful uh, surge instead of the word pain. The word pain is such a dumb word. And uh, my response is fear with the word pain. So it's, uh, I, and I cannot, I'm so frustrated about this that we do not have this physiological knowledge about ourselves. So um, I've had a lot of what you would call over the years um, uh, ailments that are um, not sure if I know the English words. Um, um, how do you, uh, when when it's like triggered by your brain, psychosomatic. You oh, thank you. That's the word, psychosomatic. So, for example, my thyroid gland was not working properly. Uh, it was uh, lower on production while I was, and that's why I was very um, depressed. Um, also, I had a problem with sleeping. I had like the twitching eye constantly. Uh, like these signals that your body are trying to tell you how you're living your life in this space with all these, um, uh, with the amount of, of um, pickles, how do you Stimu stomach, stimuli. stimuli? It's stimuli, that's the word. It's too much and, um, and it's not the right stimuli. Um, and I was only taught to push through it or take medication. Um, so I had to take a step back and I've done a lot of body work um, to 
learn to listen to that and to use that as a guide. And uh, I think we still have a lot um, of work to do for ourselves to do that. Because also, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, so I studied psychology before I went to um, my theater school. Um, and uh, most psychology trainings are based on conversation, conversation and ration. Uh, but this is maybe 25% of what we are made of. We are, a lot of us is body. <laughs> and we need to learn to start talking with the body and learn to reconnect as well with that. Yeah, I love that you say that because that's a big thing that I know is is part of my journey that me as a brain in a jar, I'm not super keen on, but, uh, you know, I can't wait for your biodanza area. Oh yeah. Okay. A friend of mine does it. A friend of mine does it. And when she describes it, I'm like, I'd love to do that. But just reading about it makes me uncomfortable. Like (laughs) it's going to be your nightmare. It's going to be your nightmare, but like a good nightmare. Yeah. No, I've done, I've done a little bit of that. Like where you just in this, I did, I did uh, drama courses and drama is very much, I described it after a two week intense drama course. I said, it's been so good for two weeks to be inside my body because I'm never in my body. And it was all about like moving and like letting go of what other people were thinking of you and literally just moving your body in some of the exercises. I mean, some of it was also like scripts and stuff, but like, um, you know, just moving. And yeah, it's very interesting. And that connection between mind and body or not even just a connection, the seeing it as a whole rather than as two separate parts. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. Can um, I want to segue into something else because I know that you'll have some interesting stuff to say about this. And I think this will also be really relevant to our listeners um which is you're a very opinionated person you're not you know you put your opinions out there and you get a lot of criticism you already um uh kind of uh, talked about this a little bit so how do you deal with criticism both um criticism that is actual that you get from actual physical people but also how does that influence you then in your own creative process before any criticism comes but this is so interesting you would ask me that because this is something you struggle with mm. <laughs> i don't i don't have the uh, inner critic that you have or my inner critic says why the hell not <laughs> no i understand no i understand that you don't have the inner critic which is great like i think that part of yeah. the reason you're so free to like really just pursue what it is that you want to say i think is is because of that um but i mean more like what other people say Oh yeah, so no, so then I always go back to that first thought. My mother was not able to do this, so I need to do it. Yeah, and that kind of quells or subsides any uh, critical <laughs> voices within me, because I'm like, yeah, you you can criticize. It might not be good, but hey, I get to do it for the first time. So fuck all of y'all. I'm here. Um. <laughs> And uh, also, there's this. Um, there's another thing that my mother gave to me uh, as a child. She was constantly working, so that was also um, and bettering herself and following extra courses to to grow in a social way. Um, because my parents, um, my mother got pregnant due to bad lack of education when she was uh, very young, and it was a forced marriage with my with my father. And luckily it worked out because they're awesome people, but it could have gone so much, so much worse. 
Um, so she literally, and, and she wanted to go to ballet school, but she wasn't allowed. She had to go to housekeeping school in the 60s after uh, a Catholic upbringing, uh, being abused by nuns. Um, so it, it, it was, you know, pretty much all the violence that a female body can endure, she endured it and uncertainty. Um, and in the end, she had her own um, uh, aerobics dance class at school, jazz ballet. So she did follow and pursue her dreams uh, and being an awesome mother. Uh, but there's this, I remember this one scene just being in the back of the car. And uh, like there's two sneers that she would use. And one was, you don't know how good you have it. Uh, and the second was, um, uh, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't bring you into this world to sit in the back seat of the of the bus. So this was imprinted on me. So maybe I'm still like following my mother's orders, I don't know. <laughs> but um I guess these these three mantras, um I don't know how good I have it. Uh I I wasn't born to be in the back of the bus. <laughs> and also my mother wasn't able to do this at my age, I suppose. Uh, because my mom finished art school when she was 70. So she attended, she started 65, uh, got breast cancer twice, and still uh, pursued her art dream and uh, uh, is making art right now at uh, all of his art. So this is this is the little story of my mom. Um, so does this answer your critic's question? Well, I also, I wanted to, because I know that there's this one thing that you do or have done uh, where you respond to your actual critics um, with nice messages. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there was this one particular uh, column I did about racism in Holland in a small village. And uh, not only did I get the back, the backlash from the whole village, but also it was picked up by the Telegraaf, which is a right wing newspaper they put me on the front page so i had all the angry telegraph readers and then they asked Geert wilders which is like the biggest uh right-wing leader in holland right now to comment and he basically said uh, this is a very dangerous woman and um what was his exact rating uh, she needs to be stopped which is basically just the free-for-all card for his followers and his voters to which mean dead or um, imply that or actively pursue it so I was threatened for quite a while I had police surveillance um, and the funny thing is I wanted my like my first reaction was to go offline and take everything offline and just not like keep myself safe and then uh, my partner said well these are these are your new friends you got to see them like that and uh, just gonna have you're just gonna have to have fun with them um, because you do need to reclaim that space. These are these are your pets, basically. And uh, so I decided, you know, what would I do if my dog was really like snappy and barky and dangerous? I would approach him with gentleness and cookies. Um, so I I use this method that I call radical empathy, and to radically empathize with uh, people I do not agree with. Um, in a way to bring us closer. So in my last novel, Pieta, uh, I have portrayed one of the characters is an alt-right rising leader. Um, and I felt I needed to creep into his skin to to empathize. Also because 
I do not I do not wish to be judged at first glance, so I need to also dig deeper in what repels me. And um, somehow that has even brought me closer to Geert Wilders, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> well, I understand how the process of radicalization understands because I've been subjected to it. So when you say something and people um, misinterpret um, or react with such fury on you, you think, you know what? I think I I, I I put my finger on the sore spot. You know what? If this angers you so much, I can do way worse than this. And it kind of propels you in this path of violence, I suppose, um, that I wanted to stop. Because I do want to make people think, but I don't want to throw them into blind fits of rage, I suppose. But I wanted to ask a question of Tamara because she's like silently listening. Um, we were talking about like backtrack a little to the body and the things we need to do as a woman to learn to take our body seriously and to learn to use it as a tool. That um, in what way, because you have a different cultural background and maybe a more physical background, like in, in a way that you were, I feel like in, especially in Dutch culture, we don't touch each other. And I think this is a lack. There's a lack of comfort, but also a lack of holding each other, of celebrating each other. There's, so there's like only two physical bounds allowed, the sexual one with your partner or the one in the intimacy with your parents. And I, we all know how like endorphins calm us and soothe us and make us feel um, more empowered. And I feel like other women from other cultures, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here and say, no, this is absolutely not the case, um, are so much more in touch with each other and touching each other and, and being closer in that sense. It's a really good question. I think it it honestly depends on how far uh, Christianized and Westernized uh, your family unit has become. My experience here in Poland is definitely one of less touch, obviously, because everybody's a stranger and you don't really expect a stranger to always come up and touch you. Um, I feel like there's so many points to speak of here. So I, I would say the South African one first is in South Africa, uh, the different race groups are supposedly have different comfort levels, but it is nothing for somebody in the morning to shake your hand and hug you as they do it. Nothing. Um, so I am used to touch in that way that if a stranger hugged me, it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel scary um, unless of, obviously my gut told me something else. But in my personal home, I was touched a lot <laughs> in the good way. And that meant massages. And uh, if, if you're sick, you get a massage. And like, that's what I associate with healing. And coming here and my partner hasn't had the same experience, neither from his mother or from any of the maternal or paternal people um, in his lineage is, is very confusing to me. But the additional point I want to make is I was very out of touch with my body as I grew up. The, the fatter I became, the more out of touch with my body I became because my body was not deserving of any um, intimacy, love from myself, from others, whatever it was. So as much as my my brother and my mother were still like allowed to touch my body, um, it became very difficult for me 
in these social situations to let older women touch my body because it was also like, you know, pinching your fat rolls. Oh, you're getting, uh, you're really happy today, aren't you? And then it became more of a, I don't know, I, I, I kind of just see it. Yeah, I disassociated a little bit. Again, um, it became more about how smart, intelligent and driven I was, not about how well I could dance or when I say well, not in a judgment, but like that I could dance, if that makes if that makes any sense. And uh, when I came here and I started uh, pulling off all of these things, this is the most in touch I've been with my body, even though other people don't really touch me now, because again, I don't know anybody. Um, so yeah, that's been my experience. But yeah, we definitely have this thing. There's nothing wrong with your auntie coming in and massaging you. Um, there's nothing wrong with your grandfather coming in like knocking your head or touching your head and you touch your grandparents' feet. Like, I mean, it's expected. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> that does actually. And, and, and I'm happy that, that you get to bring that into your husband's life. Um, and I'm so sorry to hear that it became a corrective pattern for you or for something to avoid. Yeah. Um, maybe I want, I also want to, I'm, I'm very curious about having a big, a bigger body than uh, social codes allow. Like I've never been as big as I am now. So I came, I came from a bodybuilding background. So my mother had a fitness gym, and I've been uh, also just working out my anger in the gym. So I went five, six times a week, and getting those those pain issues, so it's psychosomatic pain issues out like that. And I felt so so strong in like this corset of muscle. And now I've grown bigger. And this is so interesting to me. I feel equally powerful. I'm less mobile and less like agile, but I feel equally powerful because I take up space and I take up and I'm seen and I feel like no one can push me over. I feel like a, um, I don't know, like a, like a big truck and no one can push me over. And, and it's just like such a liberating, freeing experience to be this big because obviously also, with the fitness and gym comes this um, ideal uh, uh, ideal body type of skinny and muscular. And uh, actually, uh, I love I love being big. And the funny thing is, being pregnant, that the only comments I've gotten about my body have been corrective comments by older women that tell me, oh my God, you're so fat. And like, just the word fat, I'm not fat, I'm fabulous. I'm just like, living my life it's the first time in my life i get to eat everything everything i mean literally everything and don't feel bad about it because it's for the baby oh, well <laughs> fuck that fuck the baby no it's just for me <laughs> but um and and i know this is maybe just me talking also a bit on the high horse of motherhood like um, a mother is allowed to be bigger than other women but still, there's this there's this power, and I hope you do also feel that. I have you read any of Roxanne Gay's work? She's an um, American writer um, with morbidly obese, and she writes about the sexual abuse she suffered as a child, and that becoming big was almost in a way making her safe. body turning her body into a safe space or into a fort that no one would overtake anymore. So there is a power in, in taking up space. So I hope you do also feel that because you also address sexual abuse in your artwork. Yeah, I, I do. So 
the the reason initially why it became safe for me to eat or or why it became why I felt safer in a bigger body is because you learn the fatter you are, the less attractive you are. And that was definitely a coping mechanism for me at some point. But it was also because I wasn't allowed, I felt I wasn't allowed, the the conditions weren't right for me to express grief. And when I lost my, my best friend, who was my brother, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I got comfort from food. So that was my way of dealing. And then the more people noticed it and said it, they they were all about saying, hey, you're eating too much, but not about saying, hey, it's okay if you want to cry about your little brother, you know, we, we, we've got you. So that was the, the reason it started building up. But the key in what you're saying is in your current body is that you are taking up space. And even though physically a lot of people, and we, I, I'm comfortable with saying fat people, why fat people we take up space physically, but we don't want to take up space. You'll see, if you observe a fat person in public who hasn't made peace with a lot of things, you'll see that they shrink themselves. They literally try to make themselves as small as possible. And it might not seem like a lot for you, but sucking in your gut for a fucking eight hour flight is not normal. And you cannot, it, it's not, it's it's just, it's insane. So as soon as I like understood I was allowed to take up space, I do feel more powerful. So I felt safe in a different way where I made myself unattractive to all of these men who I felt were intent on hurting me. And now it's more like, this is a big body and I can take up as much space as I want. And when the wind blows, I won't fall down. It's that kind of thing. I've got fucking great strength in my legs. I can push things. And that only came once I said, Tam, you can take up space. And also when fat stopped becoming a word that people would just like walk around and be like, oh, oh, you moved to Poland. You got a little bit more um, chubby. And I'm like, no, bitch, I got fat. Like I got fatter. Like it's okay, you know? Um, and if anybody's listening, like if anybody ever says, when you say, yeah, I'm I'm fat and they say, oh no, you're beautiful. We all know the story. Just stop them with that. Yeah, bitch. I didn't say I was ugly. I said yeah. I was fat. Just punch them in the face. No, no, Iris, stop it. <laughs> okay, you know what, Iris? No, go for it. That's you using your anger, laser focus, punch. Yeah. Ah, Iris is the skinny bitch in the room. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wasn't talking. <laughs> Her heart's fat, okay? <laughs> um, I, side note, like I see it's 56 minutes and I'm trying to be very aware of the time. Um, do you want to try and bow it up, Iris? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, you keep asking me to uh, wrap, it up. Uh, wrap up uh, <laughs> interesting conversations that have lasted an hour in like one succinct sentence, Jesus. and I obviously cannot do that. See, um, it's been a note note taking. <laughs> yeah, it has been it has been a note taking session for me as well. Um, <laughs> oh my god, you're so diligent. That <laughs> just like spreading my bullshit here. <laughs> well, I'm not notes. saying my notes make any sense, like, but it's, you know, it's just like body. It's like a circle. Very anyway, um, Elfie, before we very... ask you to self-promote, um, can I ask you, do you have any tips for our listeners? Do you have a, like, have any advice, life advice? Yeah, don't take yourself, yeah, yeah, take yourself serious, but not too serious. Take the bio dancer class and eat the cake. Mm, I love it. <laughs> eat all the cake. Have fun. No, but have fun. No, no, but don't forget to have fun. It's so vital that, you know, 
I don't know if you're into reincarnation or whatnot, but oh my lord, I know now how much um, ache and time and energy it took to build your fucking body inside inside your mother's. Just really like realize that. Don't take that for granted and 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 spend it on on only anger and suffering and frustration, but. Um, know that you were also built for pleasure hmm. thank you yeah so let our listeners know where what what would you like to promote where can they find you oh lord um well i think most of your uh readers are, or listeners are british or no they're uh, probably mostly american but yeah <laughs> we do have See. some dutch following um, and we have a Dutch following, yes. We, as in, like it's our third biggest following, I think. So definitely, if you're Woo! Dutch and you're listening, <laughs> so I'm, cur- I'm currently on tour uh, with the show of the Bunny Cow Not Heart, Barricades of Heart, uh, until I go with pregnancy leave, and I start it up next year again. Um, I'm a city poet. You can find me on my website, elfitomp.nl. My Instagram, that's where I'm most active, elfitomp, uh, with an O, not a U, remind you. And um, gosh, uh, I, I'm on Spotify, but they're Dutch uh, protest songs, so I'm not sure. Well, you know, for the Dutch listeners out there. And um, I do write in English. It's been a while. Uh, I've con- contributed to to this website. I'll put it in the bio link i think there's notes right yeah we'll like, put it notes, in the show yeah. notes all the clicky links are gonna be in the clicky show notes. links yeah perfect perfect uh because i haven't had any work translated yet so i haven't been so lucky so far. Oh, i hope but that will happen i've enjoyed your books Me too. So. <laughs> thank you thank you all right thank you so much for this very very interesting conversation it's been such a nice a pleasure to have you here thank you for talking to us it's a bit meandering i don't think if we talked about art enough no i mean i it's, think it's a cre- it's creativity i think i yeah. see art starts with the artist i suppose so Thank you once again, Alfie, for joining us on today's podcast. For those of you who haven't seen Alfie's work, please remember that there are links in the show notes. And thank you to all of our listeners today. Remember, you can follow our podcast on your preferred platform, and we would love to hear from you at notarealartistpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to stick around for the key takeaways. Number one. We can use both the art that we create and the art that we see as a way of finding guidance to navigate this modern, turbulent and confusing world. Number two, when you get a seat at the table, even if that is to fulfill a diversity quota, you deserve to be there and are allowed to use that opportunity. Number three, anger can be a great driving force for change. Number four, if we're able to take things less personally, we can also be more effective in communicating with others. Number five, you might find motivation and power in thinking about what you're able to do now that your parents or ancestors didn't get to do. Number six, we can consciously choose to work on breaking patterns of intergenerational trauma. Number seven, in Western society, we have become estranged from our bodies and have lost physiological knowledge about ourselves. Number eight, Radical empathy can be a positive way to interact with those who we don't agree with, so we can foster greater understanding and step off the path of violence.
And number nine, don't forget to have fun. It took a lot for you to be here. Don't spend it only on anger and suffering and frustration, but know that you were also built for pleasure. 